Hello, hello, one and all. It's Mr. Christopher of the Funkatopia Radio Show. I hope everybody's doing fantastically well. Yes, yes, yes. Mr. Christopher with Funkatopia Radio Show. Man, we have got a packed night tonight. We started out just like a a few days ago where I just threw together a show. I said, let's do a show that talks about Prince's greatest guitar moments and left it open to the Facebook crowd and said, go. And let's just see kind of what they come out with and what they share. And we got all types of requests. I think we got like 17 songs that are kind of in the in the hopper right now but what's really cool is that was actually reached out to jeremiah dr funkenberry and asked him if he wanted to be part of the show and he is on the show how you doing doc you know it you know it cool the other side of the table man how you doing Uh, you know it's uh i wish that yeah cool that's actually a great analogy because it is blaring hot i know the timing of this is just horrendous with you know the bahamas getting and prayers up for all the folks that are in the bahamas right now it is insane i can't even imagine everything they're going through with that hurricane just stalled over them and the the videos we're seeing are just ridiculous but all all that being said oh my gosh we need rain here something fierce i don't think it's rain here rain here like two weeks it's been it's been horrendous and i mean not that i want to change places but uh, it's just whoa man i i prayers up for those people for sure for sure also, another special guest that's actually with us on the line, and you may not know exactly who he is, but you're about to. Mr. Michael Gabriel is with us as well. What's going on, man? Hey, man. Hey, Chris. Hey, Jay. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, Michael, is he, he plays guitar. Have you seen Sheila E? Probably. How long have you played with Sheila E uh, now? Oh, going on... Well, I've been working with her for about 16 years as her audio engineer, but I've been playing with her for about four, four, four years, four or five years now. Yeah. So if you've seen Sheila in concert in the past four or five years, you've probably seen Michael on stage, but he is actually, yeah. going, he's actually going to be uh, releasing an album. When does that album come out? Well, I'm just, I'm singles is kind of the name of the game for me right now. I'm, I'm, there's an album planned for 2020, uh, but I'm releasing singles every month uh, until the end of the year uh, so far. So that's kind of the plan. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, and I think that's kind of, uh, I, I think, you know, you know, Doc, you're, you're kind of in, in the know as far as the music industry and the flow of how things go over there on the West Coast and in L.A. and stuff. I mean, that the singles game is pretty much where it's at right now, right? Yes, especially until you get stuff going on with it. Absolutely. You know, you have to have it hit. And the album isn't exactly where it's at unless you're the main Taylor Swifter. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, she's killing it right now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but luckily, what's awesome is that uh, we actually have uh, Michael's single, Ghost in the Midnight, that we're going to be playing here in uh, just a bit. Uh, so the guy, just a just a a night full of stuff. We just, I mean, for something that was not really well thought out (laughs) a few days ago, we got lots of stuff to talk about and uh, lots of news and stuff as well. But I wanted to make sure that we were a little bit respectful of, of Michael's time because I don't know what his schedule looks like. So, so Michael, we're going to start off with you 
and then we're going to move into Prince news and stuff like that. And then getting into the, the meat of the night, which is, you know, the guitar solos and everything that guitar work of Prince and all the songs that most people have picked out over Facebook. Uh, if you, you can still chime in at facebook.com slash Funkatopia. You can still chime in there. And if there's a specific song that you just, whenever it comes on from Prince, you're just, you're air guitaring. It's just, there's no way around it. You're just, you're just in the zone. And those are the types of songs we want to hear about. Obviously, you know, the, the, um, uh, the, the hall of fame thing that, you know, that's obviously on there with Tom Petty, with Tom Petty and uh, Steve Winwood. That's obviously in the mix. Uh, we've got lots of different stuff that we're going to be talking about, but I want to talk about Michael here in, in the beginning. Um, Michael, you said you started out as Sheila E's audio engineer and then moved to playing guitar with her. Uh, it, first off, tell people a little bit about yourself and, you know, let's talk about, you know, the godson status and stuff like that. Right. Tell a little bit about uh, people about who you are so they can kind of get an idea of, well, who you are. Sure. Uh, yeah, my, my musical history starts kind of before I was even born. My, my parents, although not musicians, both came from the music industry. My dad worked with Prince. My mom and Sheila were childhood friends, and my mom was Sheila's lyricist and road manager for a long time. So my folks actually met on the Purple Rain tour, and so I'm kind of a, a product of that era. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, and my musical interest began, obviously, like at a really, really early age, because, I mean, we had Prince and Sheila E. music playing all the time. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like I, I grew up on a, a steady uh, helping of, of two and four, uh, like, daily. Um, so my folks were always very supportive and, um, I ended up going to school for audio engineering and, uh, I went, uh, to Berkeley of college of music for uh, a short stint. And then I got an internship with Sheila, um, who's my godmother and, uh, kind of the rest is history. She kind of took me under her wing and, uh, I've been working with her for the past 16 years doing all sorts of crazy fun stuff now you said that your your mom had done some lyric work with sheila e anything that we would know uh yeah hold me oh okay mm. cool yeah yeah that was that I've, and we play that in the uh sheila's show sometimes and it's, it's, it's definitely a, a crowd pleaser yeah so right. is, is sheila e in any of these singles that is planned is she planned is her, is her involvement going to be what's her involvement in any of these songs that you're going to be releasing if any um, she, uh, she's a sounding board, definitely. <laughs> so, like, anytime I write something, I'm like, "Hey, you know, what do you what do you think about this?" And she's always really great about giving her feedback. Um, aside from that, I'm writing and producing and and playing everything um, that I'm releasing, um, and uh, that's kind of the plan for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, so right now you're you're touring um, with Sheila. Sheila, what what are some of the shows that are that are coming up? And well, I know you said, Doc, that there was a couple shows that they were going to be doing over there on that side of the world. Yes, they're doing Newport Beach on Friday, and right now uh, Michael is in Minneapolis, where he was telling me telling us it's a little bit cooler, but uh, he'll yeah. be enjoying a little bit of sun on Friday at the Newport Beach Jazz Festival. Yeah, where else I'm, are you guys uh, playing aside from there this weekend? 
Yes, yeah, I'm really, really excited about that show. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of cool as a cucumber right now, but I know uh, <laughs> winter is on its way, and, you know, so that kind of has everybody here in Minneapolis a little bit on edge. Like, once, once Labor Day hits, for some reason, it's like just the temperature drops, you know, immediately. Um, and so we, we know what's coming. You know, it kind of creeps up on you, and then it just hits super hard. <laughs> yeah, it's it, 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 they've got some of the most brutal weather that's up there. It's sometimes there's a very very small window where it's an acceptable winter and then it goes to holy crap and it just kind of goes to that level. So Yeah, yeah, oh most most definitely, yeah, most definitely. So what are some of the shows that you have coming up after the Newport Beach show? Uh we're doing a show uh in October at Sony Hall in New York. We uh, nice. go to Washington, Pennsylvania, Washington, D.C. Uh, we, we're doing a Europe run, actually, uh, in late October, uh, going all the way up into mid-November. Um, and we're really looking forward to that. Have, so. you, have you played over in Europe with her before? Oh, yeah, uh, a few times. So um, how, how's the reception over there with, you know, with her, you know, the audiences over there? Are they, like, really, like, wilding out, or how, how are they? They love music. Like they are some, and, and, but but like musicians, they they just love. Like the response is tremendous. Like I feel like when we go over there, there's a lot more. Like when I go on social media, if I just hashtag Sheila E or something like that, I'll, like there will be like hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of clips. And the response is great here in the U.S. as well. Um, but they, definitely, we get a lot of love, a lot of love out there. Now you've been playing a lot of stuff with Sheila E, and um, do you get an opportunity to play any of your your own stuff, or do you not have enough material right now to kind of you know warrant any type of opening slots or anything like that? How you get an opportunity to play any of this stuff live? Sure, uh, I ha- no, I haven't played any of my material live with uh, with Sheila or anything like that. Uh, and the issue is not there. Well, there's no issue. I have a lot of material i'm just kind of a song hoarder i think is how i I would kind of describe myself i i got into this whole music thing um of course you know uh being inspired by my godparents but um it was really because i loved writing songs like that was the whole reason for me to go me going to uh audio school because i was like oh i have all these this huge collection of like cds and music that i love listening to like how can i get my songs that I'm recording on this like four track tape recorder to sound professional, professional, <laughs> professional. And I would, just, I would just get so frustrated because like there's all this tape hiss when I would go and retract something or, you know, add another part. And I'm like, it would just drive me crazy. And I'm like, I need to know how to make it sound semi-decent. And so that was like the songwriting part was really what, uh, what made me want to get into audio in the first place. And then, um, you know, when I have, when I got my internship with Sheila, um, and she took me under her wing, it, it just kind of, the, the audio engineering kind of took priority over the, uh, the writing stuff for a minute, but it, it, I never stopped writing. It's just, you know, I started working professionally in the industry. And so, um, yeah, the issue is not, not, not having enough material. It's just, me just now kind of really getting this ball rolling on my my solo thing right and were you doing like audio engineering for her live material or for her recorded material or both 
studio recording, both uh, in in the beginning, but mostly uh, studio recording. Nice, nice. Doc, you got yeah. some questions? Not at the moment. You've been handling everything pretty well. What has been like his favorite place to play so far, aside from really digging in overseas? What, what's been my favorite place to play? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Amsterdam. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of, I'm, I'm the worst at remembering like names of venues. Um, but Amsterdam, the crowd there is really, really great. And we just get a lot of love. And uh, I remember one of the last times we played there, I can't, I'd have to look it up. I don't remember the name of the venue, but like, you know, there was a standing O and everything like that. And it was just really, you know, the crowd is, was just really, really great. I remember that. Well, Amsterdam is kind of one of those places. And I don't, I mean, it may be because pot's legal there. I don't know, but they really vibe out and they really get into the music really heavily. And they, they really listen to a lot of the chord progressions and they pay attention to, they, they pay attention to a lot of the minutia that, you know, many people kind of sweep to the sides. The problem is, no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say Candy Dolfer joined us for that, uh, that performance as well. And that was just another, for me, that was another like huge highlight. It was just like, I'm sitting there like just watching in awe. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is like an incredible moment. <laughs> yeah. Candy's yeah. something else. She's, she's amazing. Yeah. I, I love her backstory. Um, if you, I think, I think Sheila E talks, Sheila talks about it in her book, but, uh, just, just so funny just to hear some of the stories about how Candy came into the mix and how she was, um, I don't know if you remember, if you ever heard the story when Candy was, she was supposed, their band was supposed to open up for Prince. Um, yep. and there was like some type of thing and they got, they got canned or not canned, but they kind of, they, they ran out of time and they weren't able to do it. And yeah. she was outside stomping outside the tour bus saying, I'm way better than Eric Leeds and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. was she, going was, she was the one that brought her to print. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's just amazing. It's it's such a cool story. Um, you know, of course, you know, Eric Leeds is, is a monster, but both of them are monsters in their own right. Oh, they have absolutely. very, very distinct sounds. So it's just, it's two totally different, two totally different that, things. Oh, you're so right. Uh, actually, Candy played on um, one of Sheila's uh, latest records that we did, uh, Iconic, A Message for America. That's such and a great album. She, yeah, she had an, an appearance. She made an appearance on um, our arrangement of America. Yep. And when we brought her in, um, she was like, okay, you know, I'm just, we, I, I checked her level, checked her gain and all that stuff. It's like, okay, is your mix good in your ears and everything? She's like, yeah, yeah. She's like, you know, let's just run through it once and just kind of, you know, just kind of vibe it out or whatever. I don't even think she listened to it beforehand, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. <laughs> it was just like, okay. And, you know, Working with Sheila, I've, I learned very, very early on, record absolutely everything. No, there's no such thing as like a test run. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I pushed the red button. I'm like, okay, here, let's go. And she played her tail off. And yep. we kept the first take. And she was like, I, I'd love, you know, go ahead and I'm, I want to go ahead and try it again and whatever. And we were just like, we were all floored. We were just like, no, 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 that was it. And, and she did a couple other takes, but we ended up using her first take because it was just that insane. And it, 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 the thing about it was that it was inspired. You know, it was a, it was inspired performance. 
um, you know, she, it was just what she felt at that time. So that's really cool. Yeah. Sometimes you don't realize exactly what you have after the first take. Like I just got done doing the album chat for chaos and disorder. And there's a few songs that were on that album, um, where Prince, I guess he had, he thought maybe he just had a different vision for what he wanted to do. So he got, you know, a couple of the guys in the studio and he re-recorded a few of those songs, but he ended up just going back to the original ones. And sometimes you just, you, you think you can do it better, but then you realize, you know, maybe I, maybe I did hit on something. Um, tell me a little bit about, we're going to play this track, a ghost in the midnight, which is a, a new single for you that just got released uh, last week. So tell us a little bit about Ghost in the Midnight, you know, maybe a little bit about, you know, the the story behind it and the, sure. the, the crafting of it and how it came about. Yeah, um the the story behind it for me anyway, um is is it's kind of about like that search for the muse, um that feeling of inspiration, you know, capturing that feeling of nostalgia. And um, in the chorus, I reference the song itself as as the girl. Like if you if you just listen to the song on the surface, it's like just a simple chord kind of relationship song. But like the underlying meaning is as if to say, like, girl, you take me back. You remind me of my favorite dance song, and I could listen to you all night. It's kind of the story behind the the, the song. <laughs> um, I can't. I can't remember when I. Uh, it's one of those songs that I wrote like a long time ago, and then I kind of came back to it, and I was like, "Oh, this is kind of this is kind of neat." And you know, I went and I. I it was another story of I used most of the old tracks, and I kind of added like some of like a new flavor to it. But it's, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about like sometimes the the very first things that you recorded is where the magic is. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, let's take a listen to it. It's Ghost in the Midnight right here on Funked Up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Ghost in the Midnight from Michael Gabriel, who we are lucky enough to have on the phone in the studio. Man, that's that's a great track. So, it, reception been really really good. Where, where is it all available right now? It's available on all major platforms digitally. Um, we obviously we are we released a music video um, on YouTube. Uh, at the same time as uh, the release. Um, the reception has been really, really positive so far. For me, um, like I said, I'm kind of a song hoarder, so this is uh, the first step um, and more to come. So I'm really excited just to see something um, uh, to completion and uh, to come into fruition. So I'm well, so really excited. Who are some of the musicians on that track? Uh, it's me. All you. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. all right awesome well so um we can go one of two directions here we can talk about i know that many people are tuning in because we want to talk about prince's greatest guitar moments i guess we should probably get to that and i know doc you have some news as well and so i guess we can kind of run through the news as far as or we can kick it off for the second hour whatever you want oh yeah yeah, yeah, we do okay that's that's fine yeah that's fine that's fine cool well, I guess we'll throw it at Michael. Michael, what is one of your favorite Prince guitar tracks? Favorite Prince guitar track. So we were, we were talking off air about whether it's like, okay, there's a category of recorded material or there's a category of live material. Absolutely. Um, for me, Little Red Corvette, like growing up, was always one of my favorites. Join Repetition, Play yep. in the Sunshine, um, the guitar solo in Paisley Park, I've really really love that one but if we're talking about like kind of a deep not i don't know if it's considered a deep cut but um i love his guitar solo. i actually love the whole arrangement dance electric yeah um, that he played cool. in the jimmy kimmel show that 
when I heard that, I was like, what the heck? Because he was he was playing he was just getting certain sounds out of his guitar that I'm still trying to figure out. I'm like, how did you get how did you make it sound that way? But it's not only that, like if you watch his clip, like he's making motions with his right hand and that but he's playing the notes like with his left hand. Like he's like it's almost like he's playing air guitar sort of thing, but he's actually playing some of the notes with his left hand. And it just right. looks super cool. Like just the performance of it aspect of it is just like genius. I'm like, wow. Yeah. What what about you, Doc? Alright. On wax, it's the question of you. And even live the question of you and just how sh- from like 2003 on, the guitar solo that he would add in, especially with John Blackwell on drums, was just amazing. And of course, when he did Question of You with the one and how he would play that would be, to me, one of the highlights of his shows when he would tour. So there's a lot to choose from, though. But if you want to say top ones, like Question of You and Shh Live is just, it's erotica on guitar. Yeah, I think, you know, when you talk about Prince on guitar with some of the different things that he was doing with between I think he really kind of would squash himself down quite a bit when he would go into the studio to kind of record things. Just just everything felt very very clean, but whenever he went live, there was just something that flipped the switch. And and a lot of times the stuff that really just blows my mind as far as as far as what I hear on record are things that were one takeoffs or or they were practiced but then they you know it was it was the first take like for instance this is going to seem kind of weird but what I had said was when I did that post was not just him playing guitar but also bass guitar as well so a- any guitar it could be either bass or electric and wow. so when I was thinking about songs like la 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 he 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 or uh, Two Nigs United for West Compton, the bass solo in, in, in those. Those are those are tracks that they, you know, they practiced the structure of it and just kind of got the structure of it down. But then when they went to record it, these were like first takes out of the out of the gate. I mean, even at the end of uh, Two Nigs, you can hear it at the end where he, if you listen really close, he goes, play that back. You know, like, what just happened? You know, yeah, you're going to be talking bass guitar then, especially with studio performances. Let's work in seven 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 ninety three eleven. Oh yeah, you know, like just mind blowing stuff. But yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, he's he's kind of all over the map. And like, I actually took the well. Here's here's the let me play this. Here is the bass solo from. We're not going to play the entire song, but here's the bass solo from La 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 He He. We'll take a listen to that real quick. Yo, relative, you just, you just gonna play the, you gonna play the bass, just, you gonna just do the line over, no, give me this.
mean, that's just ridiculous. I mean, that's that. I mean, that is. I can't even visually imagine him playing that. <laughs> just, it's right. just, it's just what's happening with the fingers. That everything is just going insane like that. It's just unreal to me. And that's one of the reasons why I, I kind of wanted to start off with the the bass stuff not necessarily going to you know stuff like let's work but more you know some of that that frenetic you know that that frenetic soloing stuff that he was doing i mean yeah when you listen to 7779311 that that off kilter beat was just so unusual that was a drum pattern that was already pre-built into the drum machine that he had. That drum machine already had that pattern, that drumming pattern in it. And he took it and then did this off-kilter melody behind it that just didn't make any sense whatsoever. It, I mean, it just, it, it defied logic as far as the, the placement of where everything was falling. And uh, it was, it was a, made it a difficult song I would imagine it made it a difficult song for, you know, a band to pick up because it's it fights your your two four mentality. It it totally it, it fights against that. Which makes yeah, it it's just one of those weird, weird things. Doc, you had mentioned Question of You. Did you ever hear him play Question of You live? Uh yeah, quite a lot. I mean, the musicology tour alone probably what, twenty times? Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, and then just continuing on, like, it's just, it was amazing, and it's always just one of those songs that just, like, you know, if, if you are making a little love mix or whatever, you gotta put some question you on there, and the hand claps is when your hips go up and then down, so to speak. Uh, but with the guitar, the guitar on it is just amazing, and how he'd stretch it out, whether it was on the new tour footage we saw, or like I said, Musicology, or even uh, the 21 Nights in London shows to the 21 Nights of the Forum, it would be a highlight and just make you understand Prince's prowess on guitar. I mean, we didn't need the while my guitar gently weeps for us to realize what a genius he was, unlike most of middle America and other people, but we understood uh, how great he was just with that one solo right there. Yeah, and we're going to play the question of you here in just a second, but I do want to draw attention to While My Guitar Gently Weeps because I will have to agree that most people, Prince was not on their radar as a legit guitar player until they saw him with, you know, Tom. I think mostly the rocking white America is basically the way that I would probably describe it. You know, the, the, because most of the people that I talk to that are, that are not really Prince fans, but you know, definitely don't have anything negative to say about Prince are basing their opinion on that performance alone, because it literally changed the way that people viewed him as a guitar player and as a guitar virtuoso. Because when you're sitting there, uh, and this is mostly the classic rock folks, because you're talking about Tom Petty. Tom Petty is, I mean, that's he is like the epitome of classic rock. Steve Winwood, are you kidding me? Steve Winwood's the, I mean, traffic and every, I mean, he's the epitome of classic rock. Jeff Lynn, epitome of classic rock. And then you have George Harrison's son. I mean, it's just doesn't make any, I mean, it's all, it's crazy. It's the amount of people that were on that stage and then for Prince to come out. And I, from what I understand, the story was is that he really was only supposed to play like a little bit of like a 30 or 45 second clip. Uh, just for that bridge and then everybody was just couldn't pick their jaws up off the floor 
and he kept looking over at Tom and Tom was just like, keep going. Whatever you're doing is just amazing. And he just let him play it out. And that, I mean, so a lot of people, you're right. They don't, they didn't, Prince was not on their radar as a legit, everybody just thought he was just some kind of weirdo pop star, but he literally showed people how legit he was just in that one performance. It literally turned everything around. Yeah, Tom Space may have said that, but we hear different stories that he kind of took them by surprise, but whatever. Prince stole the show and showed it that more than Eric Clapton could play that song like that. And I loved every minute of it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely pretty amazing. We'll have to play that too. But first, let's go ahead and get that one out of the way, which is The Question of You. Let's go ahead and play that right here on Funked Up. We're talking about Prince's amazing guitar moments just some of them we certainly are not covering all of them but we're definitely covering a good bit of them that are some of your favorites as you have posted on facebook at facebook.com slash funkatopia we did a post and we kind of let you talk we got special guest dr funkenberry and also mr michael gabriel on with us and we are talking prince and his amazing guitar work and here it is the question of you right here on funked up So what is the answer to the question of you? Which way do I turn when I'm feeling lost? If I sell my soul, now what will it cost?
And that was the question of you, obviously, from the amazing Graffiti Bridge album. The movie didn't do so well. wasn't really great. I hated his hair, but that's okay. Oh. <laughs> you, know, you know women love that, right? The, it doesn't the matter. Do that okay, it's good. It or not. I know someone told me in high school I look like a cross between George, the George Michael Beard and Janet Jackson uh, black cat hair. Just <laughs> get that image in your head. <laughs> I can't, um, I try to think what it was, um, I can't think what it reminded me of. I just wasn't a fan of it. It was okay. It's just, you know, when you spend so much of your, um, so much of your musical time trying to sell prints to people and say, no, no, he's really, really good. And then he, he kind of, you know, every single Every single album cover or every single appearance just kind of made it more difficult to defend it. It was just like, ugh, you've really got to listen to him. It's just really, really amazing. Don't worry about it. Basically, what Chris is trying to say is the graffiti bridge looked in a dude form, but he wore the assless pants of the MTV Video Music Awards the following year. He was all about that. Is that your thing, Chris? <laughs> no, it wasn't about that either. <laughs> no, but, hey, you know, like, that's the whole thing is, yes, it would be so hard to defend him on certain things and try to get regular people into his music. You're right, but the musicianship is sometimes what it speaks for itself. You know, if video killed the radio star, maybe some of Prince's looks didn't exactly help him with certain people, maybe in middle America, until, like, something like While While My Guitar Gently Weeps, for those reasons that you're bringing up. But we knew his talent. We just wanted to have other people get exposed to it. And, yes, it was extremely hard for us, myself, to bring other people into the mix and understand his greatness because of certain looks that he wore. Oh, well, yeah, but you also had the Love Sexy poster on your wall in your living room too so there's a little bit of a difference did i post it oh there's got to be some photos of it back today there was no photos of me bottomless with that poster around right no i don't need to see that i'm good Uh, for those of you just joining us, uh, welcome Funkatopia Live, where we talk all things Prince on normally these nights. Either that we're doing album chats or we're talking about some type of you know Prince-related topic. Tonight's topic is Prince's greatest guitar works. Not all of them. We know we're not covering all of them. We may miss a whole bunch of the ones that you feel are the greatest, but we've got a whole handful of them that we're kind of talking about here. Pulling from the list that you guys have given us at facebook.com slash Funkatopia. And I am joined by Sheila E's godson, Michael Gabriel. Also, her audio engineer at one point, And also, her current guitarist. And also, he released his first single next uh, last week called Ghost in the Midnight. We'll be, we'll be posting. If you missed it that, if you, if you missed it that, if you missed that, you can definitely hear the rebroadcast. We'll make sure that you can take a listen to it. And we are going to be putting it, I didn't tell you this, Michael, we are going to put it in rotation on the radio station. So you get a chance to hear it every now and then floating around. Excellent. Yeah, for right. sure. Yeah, so Michael Gabriel's on the line and also the one, the only, Mr. Dr. Funkenberry. I love saying that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I mean, I love hearing it, but it's cool if you like saying it, my man. It's all good. It's all good. So, yeah, so we're talking about Prince's greatest guitar moments. And before we did the question of you, we talked a little bit about his guitar work in While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Did you see that happen live, Doc? 
Not live. That was in New York, so we did see it on the VH1 uh, broadcast. Uh, the tickets for that were ten grand a piece. So that's why you have Puff Daddy and a few other people that were in the audience because they can afford that. Um, that's but it, look, VH1 did great camera work. I'm not sure exactly how HBO's uh, HBO does it anymore, but it made that one of the highlights of all time in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's why on their vinyl, you know, they make sure to have that that version of it. You know, I think that's I think that's probably like the top highlight of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremonies is uh, that Wild card gently weeps performance. Yeah, and if you've never seen the this performance, I don't know what rock you've been sleeping under or whatever, but that's okay. I understand there's quite a bit of content out there on the internets, uh, so it could probably get buried, and you may not have seen some things. There were some uh, some items tonight that people had made mention of that I, for some reason, I had not seen. So I'm I'm maybe with you, but we're, we're talking about is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, and on the stage were Tom Petty. Uh, obviously from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Steve Winwood from, gosh, a vast variety of bands and uh, Traffic and whatever else, Jeff Lynn, also Donnie Harrison, who was George Harrison's son, and Prince. And Prince came out and he played, he was playing a solo along with, with everybody else, and uh, he ended up closing out the song because he people were just going nuts, so he just continued playing it. What was the story that you said you heard? You heard something totally different? about uh, Tom Petty's reception to that? Well, see, and Tom isn't here anymore to kind of defend himself, but, you know, it's that's not how it went down at rehearsal. But you know that Prince was going to bring it. And it led to the performance. I'm sure Tom has kind of changed his opinion before his passing of how it played out. Um, but his face tells one story, but Tom is quite a professional on it. But... You know, Prince, as you said, it was only supposed to be 30, 45 seconds, but he took it to a whole other level. But look, on some unedited, on some footage that only aired one time on VH1, you know, George Harrison's son loved Prince for doing that. Thought it was the greatest tribute to his dad that he could do. And that's what I think matters more than anything, is that the person that it was a tribute to, their son, enjoyed it and loved it and thought so much of Prince for doing it. Oh yeah, if you watch the video if you watch the video you can certainly hear um you can certainly watch his face, Donnie's face just totally just light up. I mean he is literally smiling from ear to ear like and I don't know if it's primarily because I mean he wasn't like that when he was sitting there playing in front of Steve Winwood and Tom Petty, but for some reason when Prince came out there he just could not stop smiling. He was just beside himself. And your your prince passed away before Tom Petty did. I think Prince died April twenty first in two thousand sixteen, and Tom I think he was in two. It was like later, like two thousand seventeen in October. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think after probably a reflective time, you're right. He may have changed his story, uh, his tune a little bit. But let's take a listen and listen to that specific solo. I did cut out the first two and a half, three minutes of the song, which is just the basic song because it's everybody playing. I wanted you to be able to distinctly hear the part where Prince was playing guitar. So I actually took that clip and we're going to play specifically his playing and solo, which is still three minutes and 20 seconds. But all that being said, uh, here it is. It's Prince. Tom Petty, Steve Winwood, Jeff Lynne, Donnie Harrison. Who else was on that stage? I think Clapton wasn't on that stage, was he? 
No. No, he wasn't on that stage. So, but no. anyways, this while my guitar gently weeps, Prince and I'm I'm playing it right before the chorus, right before Prince comes out to play the solo, and uh, it's three minutes of pretty much bliss. Here it is, while my guitar gently weeps, right here on Funked Up. Hi. And that was Prince playing the solo to While My Guitar Gently Weeps. I cut out the first couple of minutes, so that entire solo was all Prince. And that solo was just groundbreaking. And he looked dapper. That black suit with that red hat and that red shirt. And, man, and that, that Maplewood guitar. And after he was done, he just, like, took it and threw it in the air. And just, oh, my gosh, that was crazy. That was such 
Such a brilliant moment. Such a rock and roll moment for sure. Definitely put him on the map for show. Yes. Let's talk about joy and repetition. You tell me about your your feelings on this one, Michael. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite. My, one of my favorite tracks um, but I think that song to me um, there's something to be said about Prince, Prince's approach to his playing I remember going to a recording studio in Los Angeles with Sheila uh, Prince was having an impromptu jam session with some musicians and Prince and Sheila and I were in the control room listening to the musicians on the other side of the class and Prince is sitting at the mixing console and he starts just talking about um, the importance of having intention behind the notes that you play and about how the technical aptitude should never supersede the importance of having meaning and feeling in what you play. Um, and at, at the time, I was just sitting in the corner. At the time, he, he then looks and points to me, who, you know, I'm just sitting in the corner, just a kid <laughs> sitting in the corner. He goes, he knows what I'm talking about. And at the time, I just, I just kind of looked back and smiled and nodded, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just the approach to his playing um, in, this, in this track in particular, in particular for me, um, it just kind of speaks to him practicing what he was preaching and just the intention of, of having intention in what you play. Right. When I think, and this is one of those things, again, this is going to be an 11-minute song, so we can definitely stop and get a drink or whatever here, but, uh, and the reason why, because it's not that long on the studio version, but I wanted to pull a version that, where he really kind of goes off into uh, his guitar tangent, and the best one that I, I, the best recording of one that there is, is obviously the In Ain't Over CD from 2002. That particular one is where he just, I think once he's in the zone, he just goes and there's no concept of time. It's just, I'm just going. Right. It, yeah, I'm just, we're, we're, we're off to the races and you're just along for the ride at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, same thing. We've got, you know, some of the other, couple of the tracks that we have in the mix, like there's, um, there's a Santana medley that I'm going to be playing a little bit later on. That's that's like eight minutes long. Well, there's there's a, there's a couple of them on here. I mean, I can never take the place of your man. That one's like nine minutes long. So there's some longer songs that are in this mix for sure. But this one is just it's it's just magic. I mean, you kind of go through the basic structure of the song, and then it just it just tears off. So yeah, off the rail. Uh, yeah it just goes <laughs> off the rail for sure. Any specific thoughts you'd like to share about Joy and Repetition, Doc? Well, I think you picked the right version to play that's at least been released and in soundboard quality. Um, that's always been a jam as well, whether it was with the 3121 band or the One Night Alone band and other things that's always been a highlight for people, especially at after shows. And, you know... <laughs> Uh, as Prince would sometimes say, it's with certain songs it would turn to ovulation station, where you probably were getting some uh, some play that you may not have deserved. And I think that's probably one of the songs that uh, would get a lot of people in the mood for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take a listen to it. Here it is, "Joy in Repetition," right here on Funked Up. For those of you just joining us and going, "What is going on?" You're listening to Funkatopia Live with Dr. Funkenberry and also special guest Michael Gabriel. Not that Dr. Funkenberry is not a special guest. He is. He's also on board. And myself, Mr. Christopher, we're talking about some of Prince's greatest guitar moments. Not all of them, just some of them as voted by you on Facebook. 
and we're just going through listen. I'm sorry if I'm not naming people also because I know there's like tons of people who did who started this whole thread uh on on facebook i just we can't go through all the names i'd love to but we just simply just can't do it because there's just not enough time in the day or organization that's the most important part that's right it's, it's just it's just crazy anyways joy and repetition right here on funked up enjoy how long have you been waiting well i hope i can make it up to you Give us a minute to get tuned up. Frequent this club. Down about 36. Pimps and things like to hang outside. Cuss for kicks. Talking to no one in particular. They said I'm bad as I am tonight. Four little words will not be heard. Not up on this stage tonight All the poets and the part-time singers Always hang aside Live music from a band plays a song called Souls I can tell No, wait a minute, wait a minute Live music kicking from the band they singing Songs that get along and have been playing for months When it walked into the place No one seemed to care an introvert This is it, look On most of their faces I'm talking about you Falling huh? between the drops Head on the fist condition I wanna hear Maceo Parker play Joy and repetition You about to hear Candy Dover play Joy and repetition You about to hear Larry Graham play Joy and repetition You about to hear Prince play Joy and repetition Turn it up, John
up on the mic repeating two words over and over again. Was this a woman he had never noticed before? He lost himself in the articulated manner in which he said them. <laughs> These two words, little bit behind the beat, mean just enough to turn you on. Every time she said the words, another one of his died were gone. Should he try to rap to her? Should he stand and stare? She and so she said the words till he could take no more. He dragged her from the stage. Together they ran through the back door In the alley over by the curb He said, tell me What's your name? She only said the words again What? And it started to rain Two words falling between the drops Moans of his condition Holding someone as truly believing Say, there's She said, love me, uh, two words, say it now. What you say, baby, said one more time. Hey, yeah, hello.
Repetition kind of bumping in a little bit. I think Baby I'm a Star is what happened after that. But yeah, that's one of those massive guitar solos that's just insane. It's just ridiculous. Those of you just joining us, uh, you may have stumbled in at the middle of Joy and Repetition. We're talking about Prince's greatest guitar moments. And uh, along with the ri- along with me for the ride is Dr. Funkenberry and also Michael Gabriel, who some of you know is the guitarist for Sheila E., who just released a new single. And we played it a little bit earlier in the day. And again, if you missed it, you can always listen to the rebroadcast and it will be there. You gentlemen still doing good? Yes. Oh yeah, always. And yeah. we're yeah, we're talking about before with this uh version from the In Ain't Over Disc and the One Night Alone tour, like just how amazing Prince was on this tour. And like I said, you know, Prince was somewhat quote unquote over, supposedly a nostalgia act. But you see that tour, even though he performed a lot off of Rainbow Children, which isn't one of his most you know the biggest sellers, but the talent on stage that he had and the, the presence, you knew that he was going to be playing arenas again. And lo and behold, one night alone, after that tour, he was playing Staples Center inside, inside arenas like that. And then the Super Bowl a few years later, I mean, the only reason he ever played small venues again was by choice, like for 31-21 Las Vegas and other things. But that tour was just an amazing showmanship of his talent and that you can't keep good talent down no matter how much you buck the industry you know yeah and i think that was there was that definitely that crossover that it was i think it was some marketing genius you know for him to appear on you know on various television shows like um what was the name of that show with uh i forgot the name of the show you're not gonna talk about jay leno are you no not jay leno the the um the comedy show, the um, Zoe Deschanel. Which one? Zo- is Zoe Deschanel? Is that her name? Um, that was a new girl, but that was like that was My, uh, 2014. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, but that's what I'm talking about. But you could see that crossover that ended up happening. You could see like every single time that he made an appearance on something, it was like his legacy was getting more and more solidified. Like every time that he came Absolutely. up to present, every single time that he came out to present an award. Everybody that followed him or that received that award was just like completely humbled and blown away that they, you know, were sharing a stage with Prince. And, you know, it was just this whole vibe that was slowly starting to to occur, you know, all the way up until the time of his passing, where he was just slowly solidifying himself and, and solidifying his legacy. And, and, and the shows that he was playing were just so solid and, and random. I mean, that whole... 
you know, that whole process that he was going through of, you know, the hit, the hit and run tours and just the, the marketing genius of it was just very well was, it was just, it was great. It was good stuff. Good stuff for sure. Yeah. 100%. You're right. Thank you. Cam and Donna. Cam and Donna emailed me and said, new girl. <laughs> yes. Yeah, thank you. I know. I was just sitting here stammering. I don't know why I was. I kept thinking my girl, and I couldn't get over that. It's the wine. Or it could be Golden Girls. You know, yeah, like sure. we all. Everyone always thought that uh, what's her name, Dorothy, should have been the girl from uh, Illusion, Coma, Pimp, and Pomp and Circumstance. <laughs> um. Let's, yeah. Let's talk news. What what kind of what kind of news is going on now? I know you know next week we're gonna we're gonna kind of chat a little about about. Um, I want to ch- chat a little bit about the book next week because there was that amazing release in the New Yorker about the author that is co-authoring this book, The Beautiful Ones, with Prince, and the whole process that took place from the meeting to getting chosen to the, all the, the, everything that happened, all the little moments that happened up to his passing and exactly, you know, some of the background story, but that article was very, very long. And it was, it just had a lot of pretty incredible moments on it. And, uh, yeah, it it would take a long time to kind of go to unpack everything that was there. And there may be some other shows that beat us to it, but I mean, we can, we can, you know, tackle that a little bit just so we can say that we did it. <laughs> but I, would, I wouldn't mind, you know, next week kind of delving into it. Like I almost did a podcast life last night about it, but I felt I was going to be a little bit too emotional because there's some things that Dan touches in that are just really hard for me. And I owe kind of like an apology to the fans on some things. And I would really like to delve into that. So hopefully we can do that next week. I would appreciate it. Um, I just, last night it just would have been too much of an emotional wreck and just give me a little bit more time. And yeah, I probably would have gave me like, like several thousand more listeners to have it out first. But the thing is, is just, um, you know, trying to do stuff for the fans and not be about, something i just kind of need like a week to kind of like process things and let people know certain things but definitely that article was amazing and of course with the book coming out and other promotions it could be like a special for the book um so that'd be great and it's a really really great article if you guys haven't read it like uh tweet tweet chris tweet tweet me um or even facebook and then we'll repost the article because it's a really important article that you guys should be about some other news that may not be as big as that that we'll have to have like a long discussion about um today uh the inspiration for billy jack bitch which you did for the gold experience a couple weeks ago uh cj from the star tribune decided to retire and uh well, at least she gave us that, that song, but she would go after Prince hardcore, especially after the name change, calling him Cymbalina, and nothing that Prince would do, whether it was for charity or anything, was ever good enough for her. And of course, after Prince passed, she came after me. Um, but I wasn't going to go into her little silly stuff that she was going into because she was just looking for someone else to go after her with him not being here anymore. So she's gone. A lot of people are saying good riddance or some people that actually worked with her are saying no comment. So that, that lets you know that she's a little bit controversial. When we had last week, um, Paisley Park is no longer going to be run by Graceland shortly. It'll be the Prince of State running stuff and the fan community has been kind of scared. And 
first, before I get into that, Chris, what are your thoughts that the Prince Estate will be running uh, Paisley Park now instead of Graceland for the time being until the family uh, takes control of everything and then they decide on a person to run it? I really honestly don't know where I stand on this because of the fact that I don't know who really truly is at the helm of what's going on at Paisley Park right now. I mean, there's a lot of people that are wearing a lot of different hats. And there are some people that I have, you know, the utmost faith in that I think would really do a, you know, fantastic job. And people like Jackie Thompson and, you know, some of the, you know, people that are doing some of the inner working stuff there. And she's not even really doing much anything there uh, other than with PRN alumni and things like that. But I, you know, I... I don't know that they, they don't really have any type of proven track record that they've done anything like this. I mean, it's, it's more than just taking tickets at the door and keeping the place you know clean and, and dust-free and playing some music and sticking on some stuff from the vault off and on for fans. It's, there's way more to this from a marketing standpoint, but I don't really know or, or really kind of fully grasp what Graceland all had their hands in outside of, you know, setting the, the venue up as a, um, as a, I guess as a, as a, a shrine of sorts. And I just don't, um, I just don't know. I, I, I don't really know what, what they can, what they can bring to the table. I imagine that the best thing that comes out of this is that they save a bunch of money. Cause I can't imagine that the Graceland folks, uh, were doing all that work for free. So, right. I, I, but so, you know, I don't really get really, uh, an entire grasp as to everything that they were doing and what would right. warrant that because they, they weren't really doing much. And from what we had talked about this a little bit before, whereas, you know, Graceland, when, you go through Graceland, and I've never been there, but this is just what I've been told, uh, is that all of his equipment, like pianos and guitars and all that stuff, is really, really hardcore protected. It's either behind plexiglass or, you know, there's really uh, specific lighting that they have to use that keeps the gear from deteriorating and all of those things that are not in place at Paisley Park. You know, there was like the whole shenanigans where people were able, after his passing, when they started doing the tours and they opened up the tours really, really fast, in my opinion. But there were, uh, you know, people that were able to lay on top of his piano and, and you know, people were licking his guitars and things like that. And, and those types of things are just insane. But Graceland was the one that was in charge of of handling that so you know so, so are you not putting are you not putting forth the effort and the care that you gave to elvis over to prince and that estate and so maybe they paisley park just felt like look you're not this is this is not this is totally apples and oranges in regards to comparison of how they treat one estate over another and i just think that it wasn't well taken care of. It wasn't well handled. And I, you know, maybe Paisley Park can, can do something a little bit different. I just hope that, you know, there is a natural progression to these things. Certainly the touring of Graceland is greatly died down you know, around now. It's, you know, it's, it, and, and Paisley Park is going to experience that same downward turn. The further that we get away from his, his passing, 
the attendance is going to slowly, slowly dip. And I just, I think it's really important for Paisley Park to understand that that is going to be the natural progression of their audience and of that traffic. And it is not a reflection of the job that they're doing. It's a reflection of the natural pattern of people, you know, slowly kind of, you know, Right. healing and I, I just there's some a lot of things to consider in this mix so right. I don't know exactly where I'm at yeah they need a resurgence there's other stuff that needs to be done we'll see about a relaunch but right now without Graceland being involved Graceland was taking 50% of ticket sales 50 merch 50% of merch sales now that's not happening anymore so these people that worry that Paisley is going to shut down they're getting 100% of the profits now there's no one to split it with Already, you're getting 50% more than what you were. That's so I look at it as a good thing, and we'll see what the family decides when they take over. I'm sure they're going to have a lot of options. So let's let it play out. But yes, there's going to have to be some changes made. Right now, I just think it's going to be how it is the same that it was before for the time being until those changes can happen. But again, you're making 50% more money than you were previously. So I don't look at that as a bad thing. Then the other news that happened kind of, you know, since the last time we talked, is Ava Devery dropping out of the Netflix series, docu-series on Prince. That's supposed to be a 10 parter, and she's been working on it for two years. Now, I've just been hearing stuff that they've been having uh, trouble obtaining footage and whatnot from other people that didn't exactly trust the estate. So there's stuff that isn't exactly all in the vault that other people have and they don't want to share it and I'm not going to share their names but it makes it hard plus I'm sure that Ava kind of had a different vision than what the estate wanted to go with on it and that's what when people are saying oh like let's have Spike Lee involved I'm like if you thought Ava was opinionated you're not going to hire Spike you know um, there's just some certain things and it's just frustrating because you know I like Ava a lot but she's been extremely busy over the past two years. She's had so many projects to where, and then she tweets about politics all the time. I'm like, man, we're not going to get this docu-series until 2040, you know? Um, I'd like to see kind of what was worked on and all that footage in the vault that they were able to have access to and know things. And then I was worried because there was someone interviewed after 2009, and they, you know, they said that they were having trouble interviewing people from 2004 on which is troublesome because Sheila was in the mix, Michael, and other people in the mix, such as Dave Hampton and Candy and Rhonda. How are you not able to get access to these people? And it's just kind of frustrating, and I'm hoping that with this new direction that they're going to go on, they're still going along with the process, but a new director hasn't been named yet, that we're going to get that stuff because, again, Prince is more than just Purple Rain, just like we're talking about the One Night Alone tour and a bunch of other things. So that's what else is kind of going on. We may touch base on other things, but I really am glad that we're going to do like, kind of like a book special and other things that are going on next week and di- dive deep into that, man. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, and Michael, that brings up a good question. For those just joining us, welcome to Funkatopia Live. We are talking about Prince's greatest guitar moments. We're kind of taking a little bit of a of a pause and, and talking about some latest news that is in the uh, Prince world. We obviously definitely want to touch on the, the book thing and, and especially the New Yorker article that was released. Uh, a few days ago that is incredible and while we want to be first to the punch on that we also there's a lot to delve into and a lot of detail that I really want to dig into so we're kind of talking a little bit about news and a little bit about Prince's legacy and then we're going to get back into the guitar thing because we've got a lot of songs to go but Michael I did have a question about regarding 
regarding Sheila, have you ever taught? Oh, uh, I forgot to mention special guest with me tonight, Dr. Funkenberry, obviously uh, he's kind of been doing, taking over the news. And uh, on top of that, we also have Sheila E's guitarist. And uh, now he is a single releaser. Mr. Michael Gabriel is on with us as well. You still there, buddy? Hey, buddy. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Has Sheila ever mentioned anything about you know Prince's legacy and her her you know her position in it, or how she feels like you know, or any type of perspective of how she feels like things are being run or are not being run? Um, I mean, Prince's Prince's legacy is his is his music, and and she's gone on record to say that. I mean, um, how she feels, um, I I can't really I can't speak for her um obviously but, no but I'm, I'm just curious yeah, if she yeah, yeah. Obviously not. but you know prince was music personified you know he's you know mozart of our time he's a musical force of nature i mean arguably uh one of the greatest if not the greatest performer musician and writer of all time our time <laughs> you know all of the above right yeah and and the only reason why I, I kind of felt to to ask that, and I would love to speak with Sheila about this as far as, you know, what she feels is going to be some of the next best steps in order to really, you know, not not that his legacy needs to be solidified. I think he's done everything that a, a man can humanly possibly do to solidify his legacy as one of the greatest of all time, without a doubt. And there's no, there's no question in that in, in any regard. But I always wondered what her stance was as far as, you know, how she felt like she might be able to contribute to that goal or what she might be able to, you know, bring to the table or things that she might consider taking on and 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 handling. Like, for instance, you know, some of the, the way that the music is released or, you know, the, the way that, you know, things are distributed or the, or the marketing right. of certain things. I know she's focusing yeah. on her own career and her own musical career, but I've always I'm, wondered if she ever speculated on any of that. I mean, she's. I mean, she she wants to help preserve his legacy as much as she possibly can. I mean, I know she's been a little reserved, you know, waiting like the rest of us and hoping like the the rest of us, you know. Yeah, I bet. What other news we got, Doc? That's really kind of it, aside from Michael dropping his tune, you know, and uh, just us trying to give him exposure to his talent and other things going on. Uh, there will be some other stuff. The Minnesota State Fair next year is supposed to have a Prince exhibit. How big it's going to be and whatnot has yet to be determined. I saw yeah. one of those uh, those Prince umbrellas that they gave out of one of those Minnesota Twins nights. They had you know the, the Purple Rain umbrellas or whatever. And uh, I actually saw one pop up on, I think it was OfferUp, maybe an eBay or whatever, but someone was trying to sell it for like 150 bucks, and I was like, oof. That's, I, I wish that I was there in Minnesota sometimes so I could take advantage of some of these events because it's just amazing. Uh, anyways, as Doc had mentioned uh, just now, you know, Michael Gabriel is along with us tonight. He is currently the guitarist for Sheila E, and he's got some of his own material coming out. Uh, we did play uh, one of his songs called Ghost in the Midnight. We'll probably play it uh, towards again towards the end of the show. But um, uh, we did get a few emails while we were online here. People were asking when the album came out. And for those of you who are just joining us, he's pretty much just focusing on singles right now. But I, I, I would assume that once you amass a certain uh, um, quantity of songs that you'll probably forced out into the 
the album genre, I would imagine, would you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, def- definitely. There's an album planned for 2020 so far, um, but right now, singles is, is the name of the game until the end of the year, for sure. Awesome, awesome. All right, so I guess we can talk, uh, get back into the whole guitar uh, scenario that we were talking about, our topic for the night, which was some of Prince's greatest guitar work. We've been talking a lot about some of his work in not just, in not all of it, but we wanted to lay it out to the people and say, what are some of your favorite uh, songs that are out there? And at facebook.com slash Funkatopia, a lot of people chimed in. I am so sorry that I'm not naming names because a lot of times some of these songs were named multiple times over multiple people. And, you know, we could just have a big shout out fest here, which is be great, but also very, very time consuming since so many people participated. I do want to talk about uh, one more bass track that I have on, on the mix because we didn't just, I didn't just focus on regular guitar and I said not to focus on regular guitar, but everybody gave me regular guitar stuff. I also wanted to focus on the bass solo from two Nigs United from West Compton. And again, I, I took the clip. I took the clip just of the bass solo. Every single time this song comes on, I cannot help. Even if I'm working, I'll just stop what I'm doing and just, and just thump out to this friggin' song. It's just, for some reason, his bass solos have so much energy, and they're as the same word I used before. They're just so frenetic, and I think it was Rhonda that had was quoted in one of the books that I, I had here. I think it's Prince Life and Times. I think he she had, she just said his his style is just so it's just so loose, and it's not. It's just very. It's like his hands are just flying all over the place. It's not like really succinct bass notes. I mean, they are, but it's just the way that he plays. It's 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 just like he's taken his same process and the same approach that he uses to playing guitar and applying it to bass, and it just creates this sound. It's whenever you hear it, there's nothing that sound. Nobody sounds like he sounds. I can't think of any bass player that creates that sound that he he does it's just the way right. that, it's just so loose even the strings sound like they're loose like it's not like properly tuned or something <laughs> and I, I just don't know what how do you create that type of sound where it's just kind of like you know your fingers are just bouncing all over the place i mean even the bass players that are known for that kind of popping type of approach like bootsy collins and flea is another person i can think of that have that real kind of you know frenetic way of playing nobody creates that type of sound and i don't know if it michael you're a guitar player you probably know a little bit about is is it what do you think contributes to that to the way that that sounds more than anything else well i'll tell you what let's do this let me play this little this little clip and then you tell me what you think it is that really contributes the most to this sound here is a clip from two nigs united from west compton it's just a little bass solo just like about a minute and a half or so let's take a listen and uh and then we'll we'll reflect on it just for a second
can obviously go into the whoops. We can obviously go into the the keyboard solo from there. But what gives a bass guitar that type of tone? Is it the strings? Is it? It's. I, I, it's just amazing to me. Yeah, it's it's absolutely just in insanity. But like, it's organized chaos. You know, the instrument is a figure of speech at that point. It's about making a statement. It's about making a point. Um, you're you're playing like you're talking to the drummer, like you're talking to the guitar player, you know, answers, questions, jokes, cursing, all of it, <laughs> you know, it's all encapsulated right there. I mean, yeah, it's, it's insanity, organized insanity, organized chaos. Yeah. I, it's, it's just such, it's such a strange way to, to play bass. And I, I've tried to, <clears throat> you know, I listen to a lot of music and a lot of bass heavy music just because I just, it's just yeah, everything from, dating all the way back from Stevie Wonder and Parliament Funkadelic and, you know, all those guys like that with Fishbone and even the, you know, the little bit wild, you know, the more wild styles of playing. And there's just, you just don't hear anybody else that plays like that, which is just, it's just so strange to hear it. And it's just, um, never kind of been able to identify exactly what it is that, you know, he's doing at that point. And it's just, it's just incredible. But all right, we're talking about regular guitar because a lot of people have, or that's mostly what people have filled in with saying that, you know, they picked out all these songs that were his guitar virtuoso moments. Doc, what, what do you think the next song we should do is? Let's see, we've got like Motherless Child is in the mix. Uh, just My Imagination. Oh, this one, Just My Imagination. This was, this is not too long. It's about five minutes, but this is one of those songs where... Um, and I actually shaved off like a couple minutes off of this song, off of the beginning. I never really paid too much attention to this song just because I'm not a fan of this song. I, I was a fan of the original, but I just, uh, I don't know why. I, I don't know why. It's just a thing. It's just a thing for me. It's it's kind of like one of those mental things. It's like you get a, a mental block about a song and then it takes something, it takes a version or it's kind of like pop life for me. Pop Life, I, I, I've always enjoyed that song. I always loved, I, I, I thought the song, not loved, I always really liked Pop Life. But then there was a different arrangement that he did starting in the 2000s, specifically, I guess, towards the One Night Alone tour. There was yeah. something, some different arrangement that was more bouncy and fuller, and it gave me a whole new appreciation for that song. And I think that's kind of what happened here, but I had never heard this particular live version of Just My Imagination. Have you heard this before? What I think is you need to open up that bottle of wine. <laughs> you need it's to opened. play a couple songs first and just delve into it. Because what came on my iPod yesterday, and I still use one of those, um, is Just My Imagination by the Rolling Stones. And I love Mick Jagger, but uh, that version is atrocious. And then you have something like this small club second show that night. And the version that Prince does is just, and of course my first time hearing it was actually on a radio station here in LA because they were playing it as part of the New Power Network mix that he gave to vinyl radio stations back in late 88, early 89. And it's just a great version, you know, whether it's just his vocals and the guitar solo on it, it just speaks volumes and shows his talent. And that's when I first knew. Prince covering music is dangerous, 
because it comes too easy for him. I would tell him this, that it would be cheating. When you cover other people's material, it's cheating because he makes it better. That's why the Foo Fighters were like, oh, crap, all right, we're not. You know, because the whole reason he did Bestie You at the Super Bowl was because he was pissed off about them doing Darling Nikki. And then he also did Drive Me Wild as a B-side. And Prince wasn't happy about it. So they were like, uh, we better not cover his material anymore because they were kind of like for a minute thinking we maybe we can't do Best of You in concert anymore. Um, but totally, Prince doing covers is cheating. And Just My Imagination is just one of those things because it's a great song. The original can't be touched, but a Prince version of it. Look how popular it was on your comments and people bringing it up and wanting to hear it because it sticks with them. And that says a lot. And it is a great song. And again, it's sex your ears something like that <laughs> just something like that well let's take a listen to it it is just my imagination from small club from 1988 which is actually in uh the netherlands is actually where this is from so i shaved off a couple of minutes for time's sake so here it is by request a lot of times a lot of people were requested this song which is just was amazed me caught me off guard and then when i re-listened i was like oh snap Okay, here we go. Just My Imagination from Small Club in Netherlands, 1988. And I believe that club was actually called the Trojan Horse. They called it. They said the Small Club after show, but I think the club was actually called Trojan Horse. Here it is, Just My Imagination, right here on Funked Up.
So that was Prince doing Just My Imagination at Small Club in 1988. I believe that club was called Trojan Horse. And let's let's take it to our resident guitarist, Michael Gabriel, who's in the house. For those of you just joining us, welcome to Funkotopia Live. We're talking about Prince's some of Prince's some of Prince's greatest guitar moments. And that was Just My Imagination from Small Club 1988. And we're taking it to our resident guitarist that's going to be, uh, who's on the line with us today, Michael Gabriel, guitarist for Sheila E. So wh- what do you think about that? <laughs> uh, man, that's, it's just incredible. Um, I just love how he, he draws you in first, you know? And so, so oftentimes in, in music, and especially with guitar, um, it's about what notes not to play. You know, like sometimes letting something breathe is just as important as, you know, going off the rails, which he does do, as you know. But um, I, it's, it's like everything that he's putting into that instrument is just coming straight from within his soul. You know, it's like it's just Prince being Prince. Um, uh, my pops, uh, he actually has a cassette of the sound check, which is... Of, of that show, which is even crazier. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I love, I love that. That's yeah. I think when you watch Prince play, it's, there's just the best word I can think is fluidity. It's just, it's this flow that he just has. It's like nothing's forced. He's not like worried about where his fingers are. He's, completely in the zone he's completely feeling it and he is just flowing from one thing to another and it's not it's right. it's completely effortless it's just the, well, the, the thing about it it's like it's not it's not even the guitar that you're listening to. it's prince that you're listening to he it, that's it, it's uh, he's just speaking through that's just the conduit <laughs> the guitar is just the conduit you know yeah, I mean, and it's, it applies to anything that he touches, as far as uh, even even keyboards as well. I mean, when he when he sets, I mean, I was lucky yeah. enough and blessed. I'm not bragging or anything. I, I just I bring it up whenever it seems appropriate. But I was at both of his final concerts in Atlanta for Prince Piano on a Microphone, and that applies to anything that he's playing when he's even when he sits behind the piano. I mean, I went into that show thinking. I don't know how he's going to pull this off. How you play to an entire stadium with just you and a piano, no band, just you and a piano. 
And what was even more amazing is not only did he pull it off because everything, just like the feel that you get when you listen to the 1980, the, the, uh, piano on a microphone 1983 vinyl that they put out just like you listen to that it's it's got that same feel it's that same he, you, every you can hear his foot bouncing he, he's he's keeping the the he's keeping the melody he's keeping the beat he's keeping the rhythm it, everything is flowing and it's just it's just so effortless and what was even more amazing about piano and a microphone and doc you can attest to this because you actually saw you actually saw the one in uh, minneapolis correct yes at paisley park correct yeah yes. so that one i mean well i mean and both i mean they're, they're all amazing shows that whole entire show was fantastic but the fact that he didn't use any loops he didn't use any sound effects he didn't use any of that stuff it was literally him, piano, and a microphone. There was no synthesized moments. There was n- none of that. It was it was it was just piano. That was it. Right. And it was just so masterful the way that he just kind of just and the way that he just does it on guitar is just in is just incredible. It's just you know. Yeah. And at Paisley, you did have a little bit of reverb, but at the Atlanta shows, uh, he didn't. And of course. Uh, the last weekend at Paisley before 421.16, he did play us the Atlanta show soundboard recording, and uh, he sounded absolutely amazing. Like, you wouldn't know anything was wrong with him at all. Just amazing. Yeah, I mean, when I think of, even when I listen to the recordings of the final Atlanta show, yep, I, I, I listen, I have it. <laughs> Sorry, but when I listen to the recordings of his final show, it's just there's nothing there's nothing in there that says, "Oh, he's a little under the weather," or "Man, his voice is yeah, he, he feels like he's str- he sounds like he's straining a little." There's none of that. It right. sounds like he is at the top of his game and he is just untouchable. Like he is just what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, unreal, unreal. So, I'd like to we're going to step forward a little bit in time. We were at 1998. So we're going to step forward to Coachella for a second and specifically the song Shh from Coachella. So this song is so, so powerful in many, many different ways. Just the way that he, just the way it kind of starts off with just this explosion is just an explosion of sound. Is somebody's phone dying? <laughs> I think somebody's phone is dying. No, I think we're all yeah, I'm on the I'm on a charger, so I, I'm good. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I think it's just one of those, you know, I, it's it's the song already has so many different dynamics to it. The way that it kind of comes out so powerful, and then it just it just fl- it crescendos into a slow song, which is just amazing to me. I've never heard any song do this. It's just such the dynamic of the dun 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 dun, dun just coming in from such a strong powerful intro and then it crescendos into a slow song <laughs> and then and then it's just and of course you got c i think coachella was cc dunham wasn't it or was it john i think it was cc dunham you're correct yes and you just can't i i just don't even i i think obviously the song is definitely a drummer song the the, the star always seems to be the drumming on this particular song just because you you can't if you make a mistake, it's real obvious. So you have to nail it. And I don't think I've ever heard this song fall apart. 
I know you had, uh, Doc, you had kind of talked a little bit about Shh before and your, your take on this particular song. I mean, it's just an amazing song. Like I said, we were trying to, I didn't share this on the one thing because I always like to have more stories to say, but we were trying to get my friend and this girl together for a long time and he was just so nervous. She liked me at first, but I knew that he really liked her, so I let her know and made it happen. Um, And then just nothing was happening, even on his birthday. So we went back to a person's uh, studio, and then we made sure that they had a few wine coolers. Then we put on and just left the room, and then the kiss happened and everything. It's just... Like I said, the whole thing about like saying, you know, sex to the ears, it's just certain things and sometimes men getting things that they may not have deserved, but uh, his music just, you know, it would just play with stuff and all this and just the sexuality that is exuded from it and sexuality, it just brings it to a whole nother level and something which, especially with the drum solos when you first had Michael Bland who recorded and John Blackwell and then Cora, you know, she'd have times where it became hers and it is an amazing song and it just shows Prince's best bands were always when he had an amazing drummer behind him, whether it was Sheila whatever um, Michael B, John Blackwell, other things Cora at times and it just was an amazing song and that guitar solo just takes it to a whole nother level and stratosphere. Yeah, I would have to agree. It's just it's just one of these songs that's and another song, we're probably not gonna play this one tonight, but another song that really stuck out to me uh at the Coachella performance was his version of Creep as well. That I mean, I, I'm not sure if the guitar work is, is great in pretty much anything he does. He doesn't do anything half but for you know, he just doesn't. But I think the more shock was was that he was playing to a Coachella crowd who were huge Radiohead freaks, you know? And so I think that you get to the point where, you know, you kind of hear a song and it's like, wow, I can't believe he's playing this. Like, if you had like a laundry list of songs that you probably did not expect Prince to even touch, you know, you weren't even aware that he was, you know, a, a fan of a specific genre of music. And for him to kind of break that out was just like... I think part of the appeal of Creep was just that fact, was that you were just blindsided by the depth of musical knowledge that Prince had and the you know admiration he had for musicians from all genres of music. It was just, he loved all styles of music from, you know, from, from blues to jazz to, to country to, you know, even I, I don't even know how you even categorize them as maybe I, I guess alternative would be the most comfortable word. But let's talk a little bit. Of, we're not going to talk. We're going to play it. It's Shh from Coachella 2007. Just enjoy it, I guess. It's going to be a good one. Sit back, relax. And if you have a loved one, this is probably the time to, uh, you know, get some time in <laughs> right here on Funked Up.
was live from Coachella back in 2007. Yes, that is definitely a masterpiece for sure. We're talking about some of Prince's greatest guitar moments, and we kind of let a bunch of people vote on Facebook. And, uh, we're, you know, I, I could go with some of the other things that people have been putting up, but, you know, we only have a certain limited amount of time that we can do. We're I've actually right. lumped three songs together that we're going to be closing with that we will not, you know, once we start playing these three songs, we're, we're just going to leave. <laughs> so, but we're going to be, we're going to be closing with, I can never take the place of your man, which, uh, I know Dwayne Tudal, uh, mentioned, he, he messaged me and said, yeah, you got to play that one specifically the one from the, uh, sign of the times movie soundtrack, because that solo in that one is just ridiculous. Uh, and then also mother's motherless child and the war. And so we have like, we have with a few songs left. We have one, two, three, four, five. I guess technically about you know five or six songs left here that we're going to kind of go through and check it out. Uh, we're going to be talking about another one that is specifically... Oh, actually, I have another one, too. So we, we've got a, a few here. Anyways. Another one. Another one. Another one. Yeah, I, was, I just happened to notice that, that there's also the Santana medley from 1994, but that's an eight-minute long song. So we're going to... Uh, once we finish up once we finish up here what we'll do is i'm going to play those four songs since all of them are over like eight minutes a piece and they're like very long and so you know it's it's just just a long long segue for us to sit we have so much great material that we've been doing off air while you guys are listening to music we're listening and and talking and commenting and stuff it's it's a lot of fun yeah. well we were also talking about while we were off air we were talking about uh, one of the news items that we did not cover which was the passing of prince's half-brother alfred alfred yep alfred nelson jackson so it's like it's probably i'll take blame for that just because i've just been more on a positive tip with stuff and that's sad you know i contacted the family gave my condolences but um yes alfred did pass away he did speak at the celebration earlier this year he didn't look to be exactly in the greatest health he did pass away in his sleep that's all that all divulged he's had some health issues for a while and if you're going to go that's the best way to go is in your sleep of course if the person's driving a car and falling asleep it isn't but in your sleep in your bed is the best way to go if you're going to have to go and of course Alfred would be mentioned in print songs such as chlorine bacon skin and a few other things so he did play a role in Prince's life at one time we know that Prince wasn't exactly close to family at certain times and what we failed to realize and the fans need to take a step back is is that he had different relationships with his family members where he may not have had close relationships but he took care of Tyka and he took care of Omar even in the last years of his life in different ways so we 
we got to stop trying to judge stuff so much. And I'm sure that if Prince was here, the passing of Alfred would, you know, be a sad one for him. So we send condolences to the family. And I just hope that he's in a better place right now and he's no longer in pain. And you just mentioned that you said he was mentioned in chlorine bacon skin. And I, I didn't even put the two together when he goes, Alfred, I, I didn't even, I didn't know that's who he was talking about. I guess sometimes he like, you know, he calls out names and I don't know what the origin of those, of those names are like, you know, uh, yeah. like who Marsha is in, uh, let's pretend we're married. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's Marcia Brady. <laughs> I don't know who it is. <laughs> we can eliminate that one. Um, and then let's real quick talk about like some uh, guitar solos that we're probably not going to mention. I saw people mentioning like Gold, which I know is a one of your favorite tracks, but I like it. And then I know people are going to get pissed that we're skipping over Purple Rain. I mean, come on. Like, that's an iconic one. We all get it. Another Love off of Plectrum Electrum, totally underrated, amazing. There's just so much, like, seriously, we could probably go to do a 72-hour show and we still wouldn't freaking cover all of his great guitar moments, you know? But we're trying to pick the cream of the crop, and that's where it goes from. We know there's so much more out there, but we appreciate you guys listening to us and giving your feedback on it. But we're, you know, this is being done, as uh, Chris is saying, from people leaving comments on there. You guys have to be more active on it. Um, but those are just some ones that are off the top of my head that I wanted to share. Yeah, and I think, you know, as you were calling them out, I just pulled I Will. Uh, that was one that was mentioned a lot. A Gold, Another Love. I pulled all those. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to we're going to kind of just tap on a, a few of those songs. And then when we sign out, we're going to play all those songs. So it's going to be just one guitar jam after another of the ones that, uh, so doc, if you want to look over the Facebook thing and see what other people, other songs, people that may have mentioned that we missed, I, I will pull them and I will pull them in. And however long it takes to get through them is however long it takes to get through them. And we'll just, uh, we'll just ramble through them. But there's some ones that we, we cannot skip. Like we're going to talk about Carlos Santana. And one of the things that they had talked about in, uh, which we'll talk about more in detail next week was in that New Yorker article was that one of the big moments for Prince was when Prince and his father went to go see the filming or not the filming, but the, the movie of Woodstock. And he was talking about how his father and him went to go see the, the movie of Woodstock and just the effect that Carlos Santana had on him. And of course, everybody else there, and we've all heard him talk about in June, how he talks about how he was, he thinks he was born too late and he should have been born on the Woodstock stage. And, you know, he, he really had, he really had an, an, an affection and a, he was drawn to that vibe, not necessarily a hippie vibe, but that flow, that kind of, you are in the music like Michael has been saying. And, and let me, uh, let me pause for a second. Uh, for those just joining us, you're listening to Funkatopia. Where have you been? Oh my God. Funkatopia live. We do this every Tuesday night. And tonight I have a very special guest, uh, Dr. Funkenberry, who needs no introduction and someone else who probably does not need any introduction either. If you're a huge Sheila E fan, the guitarist for Sheila E, Mr. Michael Gabriel is on the line with us as well. Hello, Michael. You still there? Yes, I am still here, Chris and Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're. I, I've, just, I've just been enjoying listening and 
just like everybody else listening, it's, it's been a great time. So thank you guys for having me. You know, while we have you on the line, too, kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that. We talked a little bit about Michael, some of his work with Sheila E., where he started, how he got through, and some of his new music that's coming out. He's got an album that's going to be coming out in 2020, and we started out the night playing uh, his song. Was it Ghost in the Middle? Was that what it was? Ghost in the Midnight. Ghost in the Midnight. That was what I was thinking. I didn't have the song right in front of me. I couldn't have, couldn't remember the title. But Ghost in the Midnight. No yeah, so the new. So it was a new single that just came out last week, and it's available on Spotify. What if What if they wanted to do the right thing and actually buy it? Where could they buy it from? Uh, it's available on. It's available on all major digital platforms. Um, so if they just search it, it'll it'll come up. Yeah. So definitely make sure that you support it if you definitely if you dig it. And there, as he mentioned, there will be an album coming out in 2020. But for right now, we're kind of in a singles universe as you know, we just kind of learned to accept it. But, you know, Michael, tell me a little bit about, you know, we were talking uh, about the effect that Carlos Santana had on Prince. Who are some of your major influences that really kind of, you know, shaped the way that you play and, and your style? Right. I mean, Carlos Santana, obviously, being one of them. I mean, Prince, of course, probably being one of the most major um, inspirations for me. But my my folks were really, really great about exposing me to all different types of music, from Beatles to Stevie Wonder, James Brown to George Michael, George Clinton to Queen, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jimmy Page, Billy Joel, Hall & Oates, Isley Brothers, Temptations, Stylistics, Aretha Franklin, The Police. Chicago, Earth, Wind, and Fire, <laughs> Lionel, Lionel Richie. I mean, it was a pretty nice, broad musical spectrum. Um, but probably one of my most um, early on uh, inspirations was uh, was BB King. Um, I was, was a super duper crazy BB King, or well, still am, fan, and. Um, it was there was just something about the way that he I mean he could play like one or two or three notes and it was just like incredible it was just uh, uh, like magic in the air um, and it was again kind of going back to I think we talked about it a little earlier just having intention uh, behind what you're playing you know he was one it was a master just speaking through the instrument you know it was just you know, it, it wasn't the guitar you were listening to. It was B.B. King. And, it, you know, the guitar was just the conduit for his uh, musical expression. Um, so those are those are some of the inspirations. Normally, you somebody will see something and or, or hear something and be like and, and just make a decision. I'm going to play guitar or I'm going to do this like I didn't I, when I wanted to tinker around with acoustic guitar. It, that was spawned by hearing Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds do their do their duet thing, and I don't know if either you want to are either one of you are familiar yeah. with Dave Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds when they do their thing. Yeah, it's kind of it, it's just kind of ridiculous. It's it's like I, I need to play acoustic guitar. <laughs> Right. Like, you hear something is like I got I have to. It's just it's possible. For, for, for me, that was probably that was honestly it was probably probably Prince because that was like that was always playing in the house. But it's definitely a combination of, of Prince and and BB King. When I when I started playing guitar, I think my folks got me into like Suzuki lessons. Um, I was my mom played a lot of Andreas Segovia 
And so um, they got me into like classical uh, guitar lessons. And I think at the time, like I was, I don't know, I think I was like five. Um, and at the time, you know, I didn't have a super great appreciation for that because there's a lot of discipline involved. Um, and the music I was listening to was kind of like stuff that we're playing right now, <laughs> you know, like just crazy wailing, like electric guitar solos. And at the time, like my headspace as a five-year-old, I didn't understand the difference between like classical guitar and electric guitar or like country style acoustic guitar. I like a nylon string versus a steel string. I just didn't have a space headspace for it at five years old. <laughs> you know? Right. And so I I wasn't one that really liked to practice or whatever at that age. I was just like, why doesn't this guitar sound like anything that I'm used to hearing, you know? And so it wasn't until like one, I, I, I was, I went to a, uh, to a lesson and down the hall, I just, I heard this electric guitar and my pops looks at me and my eyes were just like all wide eyed and crazy looking. And he's like, you want to know, learn how to play like that. Right. And I just, I didn't say anything. I just like nodded like, yes, that is what I need in my life. <laughs> yeah. It's well, so so I mean, it's just I I think it's just one of those things where you you hear something and it, and something clicks and you you either want to be able to replicate it or at least try your damnedest to get as close as possible. <laughs> I right. think it's just like man, I just if I could create that with my own flair and my own vision for you know that sound, it, you know you can you know that's that's the that's the core of it. Carlos Santana for me was. I, you know, I'd obviously seen him on Woodstock and the Woodstock movie back in, uh, back in the seventies when it came out and, uh, I really didn't know much about him, but for whatever reason it may have been, I loved it. I thought, man, Carlos Santana sure can play those timbales and that guitarist is pretty good too. <laughs> that was back in the seventies. Oh, I'm a kid. I'm a kid. You know. Right. And it yeah. wasn't until it wasn't until like the later seventies, like, oh, Carlos is the guy playing guitar. Because <laughs> 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 there was just so much focus on that rhythm, and so it was just it was a total different. It was a beast. It was just a beast. Right. I don't think I. You know, when Oyo Komova came on, I just it was just. At that point, I was like, oh, this is in Black Magic Woman. And you just started hearing right. more and more presence of him on the radio. Because during Woodstock, he nobody really knew who he was. And then he came out, and it was just incredible. I mean, the whole story of how he even came on stage was was hilarious. He had just got, because I guess Woodstock had just got done doing their 50th anniversary Carlos Santana was on Sirius XM and he was saying that Jerry Garcia came up to him and gave him some acid and uh, said, yeah, you should take this. You don't have to go on for like another 12 hours. You're good. You're fine. And he was like, yeah, sure. And then he dropped acid and then not even two hours into it, they came up to him and said, uh, you have to go on now. If you don't go on, you're never going, you're not going to be able to play at all. And so he had to go on stage totally, <laughs> totally out of his, out of his mind and so, like, there's a reason why that particular, you know, and he said, like, the whole time the neck of the guitar was, like, moving around like a snake. And he was just saying to himself, just just play the right notes and stay in tune, oh, God, please. 
And, you know, it was one of his most amazing performances that he ever did. And it had such an amazing impact. And because he was in the zone, he was in the spiritual realm. He was in a totally different, he was disconnected. And um, I think Prince really connected with that. He connected, and that's the way that he plays. He doesn't need drugs to get to that point. His that that part of his brain is always on already. It's it's just right. a, it's a switch that's flipped already. And I think it it, it would behoove us not to kind of bring Jimi Hendrix into the conversation here, since we for Spanish Castle Magic, because we talked about some of the spiritual otherworldliness of. Uh, Carlos Santana, but if we want to really talk about the person who excelled in that 24-7, you cannot, you cannot kick Jimi Hendrix to the curb at all in this conversation. I mean, at all. Jimi Hendrix is by far, I mean, for the most part, he seemed like he always played under the influence or he felt like he wasn't, he couldn't connect with, he couldn't connect with his true playing style or I, I, I'm trying to think of the correct word for this. Um, I think I feel like he he wasn't comfortable being on stage unless he was high all the time, and I just, which is unusual, but maybe he just kind of felt like he needed to unlock that part of the brain. And we had kind of talked about, you know, the Prince always had that part of his brain always on. You know, some people actually go to sleep and you know they think of a song in the middle of the night. And they wake up and they have to like record it real quick or record a snippet of it so they don't forget it because all of their defenses, their brain's defenses weren't up because when you're out in the day and everything is kind of hitting you in from reality, it's that's your defense mechanisms for your brain get shut off when you go to sleep, which allows the kind of the creative process to kind of come in. And a lot of times, the only way that you can kind of keep that part of your brain on, that creative part, that left side brain on, is is either drug-induced or you just naturally have it on. People who naturally have it on would be Mozart and Prince and just people that are just in that zone all the time. They don't need anything to get there. And uh, Michael, what, what is your take on, on Jimi Hendrix? I mean, you said that you got, you listened to a lot of different music. I mean, certainly you had to have, you know, Hendrix had to have some type of influence on you. Yeah, it's kind of Jimi, uh, Jimi Hendrix is like, you know, synonymous with good <laughs> guitar. So it's kind of like a prerequisite, but I didn't, I didn't really, really get into Jimi until I was a little bit older, like, you know, 16, you know, um, and uh, well, I mean, get into it as in like really get into it. Like, of course I had heard of Jimi Hendrix and I had listened to Jimi Hendrix. Um, but like really diving into songs like little wing or the wind cries, Mary, you know, Hey Joe and all that. Um, it didn't happen until I was a little older. And the thing that, um, what inspired me about Jimi was kind of to your point about like, that left side brain sort of uh, being active in your plane and um, how to tap into that. I, I guess like I didn't, I, I wasn't thinking, you know, drug induced state or anything necessarily, but he, he inspired me to kind of not really try and think about what I was doing technically and just make it about whatever, whatever comes out is what comes out. It's like a feel thing. 
So right. that's kind of what I think of when I think Jimi Hendrix. Is it's just it's tri- it's strictly feeling. Um, you know, it, it's cool to kind of dive into like what he's doing technically, and then you go, oh my gosh, so this creative genius sort of thing. But I think in order to get to that point, you have to shut off uh, the the technical side of it. You know, and it's cool to analyze it after the fact. So it's like, oh wow, so he's doing this inversion of this chord instead of playing it the traditional way or something like that. Um, uh, but I think in order to get there, you have to shut off any idea of what makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I would have to agree. I mean, even when I was singing, doing singing professionally and was doing commercials and doing things like that, whenever I was playing with a band, we would be, we would be out, we would be performing and, I always felt like my best performances were the ones where I wasn't thinking about the lyrics. I wasn't thinking about, I I was, I was in the zone. I was feeling the music. I was kind of just, you know, I was lyrically kind of weaving throughout the melody and I wasn't thinking about what, what lyric is next. What, what's the next line? What's the next chorus? It's just, but the only way that you can get there is to really, really be comfortable with what you're doing and to kind of, as as you said, kind of have your guard down and not think about what the, what is technically going on. And I think that's one of the, you know, some of the genius about Prince and, you know, and why he was, you know, such a, a fan of guys like Carlos Santana and Jimi Hendrix, which is, you know, why uh, the the whole reason for Spanish Castle Magic is is paying homage to to, to Hendrix, and and that's just, you know, there's just something to be said for that, uh, you know, th- there's something to be said for that that style and having your guard down and performing that way, and when you see people play with that that effortless way that they play like when you see prince play guitar any i mean it's just it's effortless he's not thinking Absolutely. about anything it's just it's just a flow and you're right i i like how you said that you know hendrix was synonymous with um with guitar you're right when you think of guitar it's, it's, it's one of the first the top five people that you're going to think of right out of the gate oh, yeah. i mean easily easily so that's the reason why we're going to play this next track here How's that for a segue? Spanish Castle Magic, which is Prince playing that song in, uh, what is this, July 18th, 2009 at the infamous Montreux Jazz Festival. This is the 11 p.m. show. It's a short one, but it's phenomenal nonetheless. It's Spanish Castle Magic, Prince at the Montreux Jazz Festival from 2009. Here it is. Enjoy right here on Funked Up. One, two, three, oh! It's very far away, takes about half a day to get there If you travel by my dragonfly Oh, it's not in Montreux, but all the same Just groovy, y'all with me? Let's go! Hang on, my darling Hang on if you wanna go It's just a little bit of Man's castle magic Claws are really low, they overflow with cotton candy. Battleground, red and brown. It's all in your mind, sugar. Don't waste your time on a bad thing. Just let it float around. Hang on, my darling. Hang on, it's warm and 
That was an abrupt stop. <laughs> Spanish Castle Magic, a uh, little Jimi Hendrix from the Woodstock era. Uh, and we are we are going to go into a Santana medley, just so you know. <laughs> just so all that makes sense. We are going to go into a Santana medley, so I'm glad that we tapped on Santana. But uh, Spanish Castle Magic is not Santana, just so we're clear. It's Jimi Hendrix. Even if we said otherwise, we'll blame it on the wine. Which leaves us like a handful of songs on here. I want to I want to tap on Bambi for a minute. Doc, when's the first time that you heard Bambi? Uh, man, I was a little kid, and I knew it wasn't about a damn beer, but um, it was just interesting. Can't you understand? It's back with the man, other stuff, and of course the solo. Um, but of course. I reintroduced it into my teenage years, and of course, just like with certain other Prince songs, it takes on a totally different meaning. But of course, that guitar solo would be badass, and of course, the earlier tour they did with Rick James doing that song, and Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad, where he'd add bitch to the mix, and that guitar solo and Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad, those live performances along with Bambi, just looking at his fingers and what he would be doing with it, it was just absolutely ridiculous, especially him being, I think, around 21, 22 at the time and just the absolute damage that he would do on Bambi and why you want to treat me so bad was just utterly amazing yeah I I, I remember I don't remember when the song came out I wasn't tuned in when the song came out but I was definitely you know obviously when I was I came on with Prince during the controversy years and I and it was just lightly during then I loved it and then of course then you start backtracking and it just gets more insane from there because just to kind of cover the ground that he covered on his first three albums was just ridiculous. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that Warner Brothers actually saw the, the promise in what he had delivered in his first three albums. And Bambi is one of these tracks at this point, because this version I'm going to play is from the Tokyo Dome 1990. And it's one of these phenomenal shows that's just... At this point, he's been playing this song for, I don't know, the better part of over a decade. And so he's very, very comfortable with it. And I think even when he was playing it with Third Eye Girl, it took on a different light. And so every single time that he played it, it became more stronger and he became more comfortable with it as the decades passed. And I was actually kind of surprised that he broke out Bambi at all. I was a little bit shocked because... When I saw him at the One Night Alone tour and he's announcing from the stage that he's no longer going to be cursing from the stage or playing, you know, a lot of his more risque material, to hear him break this out on Jimmy Fallon's show was just, I was kind of taken aback. I just, I, because you think, I, I thought, you were, but I, I guess technically it's not like a dirty song. It's just, it didn't seem like that was the direction that he was going. It was just unusual for him to break that out. Let's play it. It's Bambi from the Tokyo Dome in 1990. It's a lot of fun. What more could you ask for? <laughs> Let's check it out. Here it is on Funked Up. Thank <laughs> you. 
And that was Bambi from the Tokyo Dome in 1990. Let's go to, you know, we're obviously, we don't want to you know be up a little bit too late here. We got a, a few songs to get through. We're going to talk about, I'm going to put Empty Room on the, in that bulk of songs that we'll play a little bit later. So, so far in this, uh, yeah, so far in this bulk, we have... Yeah, there's there's so many that's here. You, you have you have a special appreciation for Empty Room. I remember the first time he ever played it live at the celebration in 2002. You know, it's like your soul. <laughs> Me liking Prince's like heartbreaking songs when I was younger and I had no experience in lovemaking, but you could feel the emotion. I mean. Like, I have a girl here, and then they're like, she'd be gone a week. Then all of a sudden, like, in the middle like of the night, there would be, like, one of her hairs would be down my pajama bottoms. Like, what the hell? Like, the whole finding a strand of your hair somewhere, and it's months gone. The person's gone for months. It's still there. Just amazing. And just lonely hearts, worlds apart. And, of course, that, that guitar solo. But, of course, the first time I heard him play it was on piano at Paisley. But, um... Just absolutely amazing, the lyrics that Prince could come up with and the guitar solos and all this stuff that just, there's so much emotion. And it's so true. When someone isn't there, it's, that room is so empty. And how are you going to fill it? And it just, the silence is so deafening and not like in the good way if I was your girlfriend where together we can stand in silence. But just Empty Room, just one of those amazing songs that never got a real proper release and there's a video for it, and it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's definitely one of the a, a great songs that kind of got tucked away. And I, I, a good friend of mine who played bass in a, a band that I used to play with, he listens to Funked Up all the time. And Empty Room came on, and I remember getting a text from him in the middle of the day. He was like, I have never, ever heard that song, Empty Room, ever. And he said that song is amazing, and I was like, "Yeah, it's it's, it's a good one." I'm actually surprised you haven't heard that one, but uh, yeah, it's it's just one of those songs that when you hear it, it's it's just it's fantastic. So yeah, we're gonna definitely make sure that that kicks off our bulk because we got like we want to cover these last three songs that I have in them. Well, I got the last three songs we're gonna talk about, and then we're gonna go into our bulk. That will include "Empty Room." I will gold another love. Uh, we're going to do a Santana medley to honor our time that we spent talking about Santana. The, the time that we spent talking about Santana before playing a Hendrix song, and then Motherless Child, The War, and of course I Can Never Take the Place of Your Man from the Sign of the Times movie soundtrack, not just the cut that's on the album, but from that soundtrack, which has got a very, very distinct, different feel, uh, for sure. So, which leaves us with these three songs, which are Fury, which he played on Saturday Night Live, The Ride, and I'm Yours. So, which one do you, which one do you want to tackle first here? Let's go with the beginning, if you ask me, and get to I'm Yours. All right. So, I'm Yours. Man, what an amazing track this is. If you're going to come out swinging, <laughs> for sure... On a, on a debut album, there's not really a whole bunch that you can say about, you know, how 
you have to make a lot of decisions. And Michael, I know you're going to be up against this coming up. You know, when you release your albums, there's a certain order of of songs that you you got to put songs in a really specific way. Right. And his debut album for you was structured in such a way that it was damn near perfect. It started out. I, know. I, I listen to it front to back, and it's like just it's genius. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just. I mean, to start off with showing them what you're you know, what you're capable of vocal wise is i mean just right out of the gate you're coming out singing a cappella and you're just like killing it and then you have all this amazing stuff in between like soft and wet and crazy you and just as long as we're together and my love is right you know so blue all those songs and then to say oh yeah by the way <laughs> i can also kill on guitar if you haven't if you haven't quite gotten that yet from anything that you may have heard on this entire album, let me just remind you really quick <laughs> that I can also shred. And here's what that sounds like. I was one of these people, again, as I said, I came in, I, I started my Prince journey during controversy and kind of moved forward. But then I had to go backwards and listen to the, you know, to his, his previous stuff. And I was a late bloomer to his early, his first two albums. I just, you know, I never was really a fan of falsetto vocals. I don't know why. I just, I just never, I mean, I liked when Smokey Robinson did it. I just, there was something about, I don't know what it was, but then as time went, you know, specifically as we started to get towards the late eighties and nineties, I started to have more of an appreciation for it and started to kind of give those albums more of a, a second listen and kind of really appreciate those. And as I started to dig into them, I just, Oh my gosh, I, they were just amazing. I mean, especially songs like when we're dancing close and slow and uh, you know, why you want to treat me so bad. I mean, that second album was right. just ridiculous. Yeah. So I, I I don't know what more you can say about I'm Yours. It's just one of those great, great tracks. What a fantastic album closer. Um, so I, why say anything else? Let's just play it. It's I'm Yours right here on Funked Up. Here it is.
And that was I'm Yours, the album closer from Prince's debut album for you. Obviously a fantastic one. Kind of going through the Facebook post and seeing some of the sh- uh, the stuff, the stuff that people have been putting up uh, as far as songs that they feel have amazing guitar. And uh, I'm just, I'm pulling all the ones that we have not played tonight, including we've got just, we've got so many of them here. Uh, we're going to be playing... Essentially, what's going to be happening is that at the 11 o'clock hour, we are just going to be playing all the songs that we did not talk about and that you guys named. And some of those that are in that mix are Empty Room, Red House, uh, Crimson and Clover, I Will, Wall of Berlin, Gold, Another Love. Uh, We've got a Santana medley from 1994 that Prince played. Uh, I Can Never Take the Place of Your Man from the Sign of the Times movie soundtrack. Uh, again, these are not necessarily in this order. Motherless Child and The War. So lots of amazing music coming up. I mean, we could sit and just, and literally every single album has got at least at least a, a few songs on there that are considered to be guitar aficionado type of songs. I mean, they're just breathtaking work. I mean, even if it's not something that's got like a really standout solo, just the, the structure of the solos and the, the melodies and because a lot of times from a guitar standpoint, I mean, there's got to be songs, you know, even Michael, you got to be thinking about songs that, that Prince has played that just seems really, really simple. And then you get, get behind a guitar and try to play it. And you're like, how exactly did he do that? I mean, how? I mean, there's a lot of songs like, I mean, there's a lot of songs like that. I mean, and, and we're talking about guitar. One of the things we haven't talked about was his rhythm guitar playing. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times when we think like guitar, we think, you know, distortion, heavy, wailing, crazy solos. But then there's certain like tiny little nuances in his rhythm guitar playing that is just like, it's, it's intense. Like, it's, it's pretty heavy. I mean, you even take a song like I Want to Be Your Lover, and, you know, on the surface you go, okay, you know, major seven, uh, uh, you know, um, minor seven okay you know but it's not as simple as that you know it's 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 all the tiny little nuances it's it's right hand technique it's the feel thing it's locking into the pocket it's it, it's the vibe and so like his rhythm guitar playing is just as equally as intense when you really dive into it as like the solos that we're featuring here today yeah he he's he's always had that way i mean we've in in past bands that I've played with, we'll break out a song and something that seems rel- mm. relatively simple and straightforward is not. <laughs> it's you know we'll, we'll get you know, the, the guitarist will get it and and he'll start playing it and he'll 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 be like what I don't that it doesn't you know when you listen to it on the radio it sounds simple but then you realize that it's it's some kind of strange off timing or it's just the just the way that it's kind of structured is just insanely right. unusual. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cuz I was able to see I'm Yours which you just played at 2009 at the Congo Room with the New Power Trio of uh, Michael B, Sonny T and Prince and it was just amazing then and just imagine like how early on it was in Prince's career and of course People think of like the For You album as a disco album and all this stuff, and then you have that on there. And how old he was at the time, and everything that he was putting into it. And it was a mature track 
that kind of put on with that stuff that showed influences that he would have later on in his life of such as Led Zeppelin and of course you know, with Carlos Santana and Hendrix, and I know that Prince didn't like the comparisons with Hendrix um, a majority of times because even like in 2011 where he wore a bandana, people are like, oh, he's trying to be like Hendrix, and that was the whole thing because they're both black. And, of course, you can tell by listening to Prince's guitar playing, it was always more similar to Santana than Jimmy as much as he did like Jimmy. But to see these songs play out and just how, like we were talking about, sometimes in the studio it would just be a basic track, one one take or whatnot, not with I'm Yours, but then how it would elevate itself live. And, of course, I'm Yours is not exactly a track that he would play all the time, but just fortunate enough to see that perform performance and how amazing it was then, and it's still in my memory, my cellular memory and whatnot. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of these fantastic songs, but we are running up on the time, and we've got not the band, but the the actual chron- chronological order of things. But so we got we still have a couple more songs, plus all the ones that we're going to be adding to this mix to play until the wee hours of the morning, apparently. So we've got the we've got Fury from his SNL performance, which I guess we can we'll we'll feed into here, and then we'll we'll drop ride into that the ride into that groove uh we'll kick off with that and i don't know what specific specific order we'll put it in so let's talk a little bit about fury and then we'll uh close it up with everybody here first let's talk about fury this was a performance uh, obviously on saturday night live where a lot of people didn't know what to think this was this one of the performances that that third eye girl was still trying to wrap their heads around that they were third eye girl. Fury predates that third eye girl era. He did want a female band around Fury, but that's not what it took place. That was still with Cora. It was like basically the Tamar band of 2006, but still. And yes, I think we can get it. We can get it mixed up with third eye girl because it was such a rocking song. And of course, Fury on 3121 lacked the live feel of the Sarah Live performance. And of course, Prince wanted the Saturday Night Live performance to be the music video because, hello, the label was universal. And Saturday Night Live was a universal television thing with NBC, but they couldn't get approval to use that. And, of course, Prince was not happy about that. Yeah, you're right, because I, I am envisioning him playing Fury with Third Eye Girl, so I think I've got that video trapped in my head. That's why I'm thinking about that. Um, okay. This is one of those things where he ends it with the feedback in the guitar where he just kind of lays it down and people are like, Okay, I guess we're done. We're done here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty I amazing. Love that. Yeah, it's it's always, you know, well that's all he did the same thing when he was on Jimmy Fallon and he broke Captain Kirk's guitar when he threw it down and <laughs> walked off the stage. Yeah, he had he he loved to do that. I don't that was just a little bit of a a final note, a crescendo of sorts. So we're going to close out the night playing Fury from his uh, SNL performance, uh, the live SNL performance. And of course, then what's going to end up happening is we are going to play a bunch of songs that all uh, rightfully so could have easily changed places with any of the songs that we spoke about tonight. And I know a lot of people are like, I cannot believe you didn't play Let's Go Crazy. And that, I mean, that was like the first solo probably that put him on, on, on the map as far as you know the top 40 was concerned and just people just blown away 
so many. And it's, I mean, there's just so many of them. And of course, Purple Rain, that's obviously a travesty that we didn't play Purple Rain. But it's you've got to understand, there's so much music that we could go through and talk about his guitar prowess. And we are going to be playing a bunch of stuff, including uh, I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man from the Sound, Sound of the Times movie soundtrack, not not the actual album, but the the movie soundtrack version of that. Yeah, we're going to play Empty Room from Montreux Jazz Festival, Red House, The Ride, Live. Uh, we're going to play Crimson and Clover that he played on uh, Jay Leno. We're going to play I Will, Wall of Berlin, Gold, Another Love, uh, a Santana medley from 1994, Motherless Child, and The War. This is what we're going to do to close it all out. So there's a lot of music coming up. I think it's at least, at least a couple hours, I would think. If it's not a couple hours, it's near close to it. It's about an hour and a half worth more of music. So I hope you're not going anywhere because it's a lot of music. It's going to be a lot of fun. And meanwhile... I want to thank my special guest for being on the show tonight before we uh, play Fury to close this out. Uh, special guest, obviously, Dr. Funkenberry, who you can obviously find on Facebook as well. Good friend of Dr. Funkenberry's Celebrity News, also drfunkenberry.com. You can support him. Make sure that you click and buy him a root beer because he, he definitely needs it. <laughs> <laughs> it's changed that to water, but yeah, I don't drink soda anymore, and I can't. But yeah, <laughs> thank Doc, you though, Doc. Thanks for being on the show again, man. It was a lot of fun once again. I enjoy being here. We're gonna make it a regular thing because it's fun for the listeners and fun for us. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's it's great to kind of have all that background information. You're like a walking encyclopedia. It's always fun. It's just a lot. It's just a lot of fun having that second opinion on there, not just me rambling by myself all the time. And also, we also have another special guest on with us that is gave us a amazing song to debut. It was a Ghost in the Midnight. Is that what it is? Ghost in the Midnight. Go, I got it right. Ghost in the Midnight. And we played it at the we played it opening the show and it was it's just a great tune. We had people asking when your album's coming out. You're telling us it's going to be coming out in uh 2020. It's Michael Gabriel. Thank you so much for staying on this whole entire ride. You were only coming on oh. the top. It was funny because you were only coming on the top of the show just to kind of talk a little bit about the single and and you know some of your. He's he's right now currently on the road with Sheila E. So if you're going to go see Sheila E. live, you will see him playing guitar. Make sure you hug his neck if you get an opportunity and tell him that you enjoyed having him on the show, and let him know that you you heard it. And obviously, make sure that you look for Ghost in the Midnight on any of the streaming services and if you have the opportunity to actually purchase it do so because you know it's better than making point zero 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 one cent when you listen to it on a streaming service <laughs> right uh, I, I had a blast guys thank you chris and doc for having me thank you funked up funkatopia listeners for sure it was, it was, i've had a great time with you guys yeah, it was so much fun. I really, it's just been a great, great show. And let's close it out. It's Fury right here on Funked Up, and you got done listening to Funkatopia Live. And thanks for tuning in. And you got plenty more music. Just because we're not talking doesn't mean the music's stopping. We've got so much music coming up. Do not go anywhere. Lots of music coming up. But here it is, Fury from this SNL performance. Right here on the Funkatopia live radio show. Good night, everyone. Have a safe trip to your bedroom. <laughs> or putting on your headphones. The night may not be over for you on the West Coast. Have fun. Here it is, Fury, right here on Funked Up.
ears rang With a voice of saying, Queen, got no care Another band They're making money They're making plans You feel left out But you need to understand Word on the street He's still your man Get broken. Who's the guilty one? But there ain't no judge or jury. Shout out to the sun and to the one. Funkatopia Live and Funked Up is the online radio station of Funkatopia and is in no way affiliated or endorsed by Paisley Park or the estate of Prince Rogers Nelson. Yet. 